It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Good morning, everyone. It's, uh, it's fun because we just had a special edition of a Daily Thunder last night, uh, which was I mean, for me, it was thrilling. I mean, I was so excited about that one. So this particular Daily Thunder is being delivered on Monday, but in the podcast, it's going to be released on Wednesday. I know, just to confuse everyone. But last night's uh, is the one that's going to be delivered, uh, which is this morning, Monday, but, you know, really confuse all the podcast people with that. Uh, but the, the theme that we've been unpacking in our Daily Thunders, before many of you arrive, because we, we have an alumni summit here has been, it's called Spiritual Lessons uh, from Alfred the Great. And to be honest, many of us really don't know much about a guy named Alfred the Great, and why does it matter, uh, would be another question. And, you know, to be honest, history has value to the degree that it reveals to us the nature of Christ, the nature of proper living, and how we could either learn from mistakes of others or how we could learn from the decisions of others that were correct to inspire us to also live a correct pattern. And so history has value, but oftentimes it's not just the, uh, the intrigue of what's happened before us, even though there, there is a tremendous enjoyment to that that I find. I love history. But truly the value of it is that it change us, that it inspire us, that it correct us, that it inform us so that we can live rightly in the time in which we live. So when you lose history, you lose the cyclical rotation that exists in it. There is a cyclical rotation, and we are going to repeat our histories, the bad ones especially, if we do not recognize what has gone before us. And when we learn the positive sides of history, we can repeat that. And that is what I would desire in and through this story, is we live in a time period very similar to the time period in which Alfred the Great lived, which was... It was called the Isle of Britannia at the time, and it was divided, which we know as Great Britain uh, now, but it was divided up into seven kingdoms. The uh, Vikings came into this once Christian island. Uh, It was because of the Roman occupation uh, in the very first centuries, uh, we see uh, Christianity actually coming into this island, and there's peace there. I mean, actually a beautiful season of peace and the kingdom of heaven was thriving there. And then they fell away from that. It sounds very similar to us, doesn't it? This country has a history very similar to that of that island. Christianity has come to us and we were transformed and a great season of peace and prosperity uh, ling- has lingered here for a long while. And yet when you reject your heritage, when you reject the kingdom pattern, you will begin to see a very quick erosion take place. And judgment comes in. It's just the natural effects of sin. It's sort of like if you were to not get any sleep and you were to eat junk food your entire life. And you know, there's various things that break down an immunity. And the same is true with the kingdom of heaven, the way we live as individuals and as nations. When we start, stop doing what we know to do and we start doing what we know we shouldn't do, then it actually leads to an erosion of health. And so in this island's history, you're going to see the invasion of Vikings. 
And in 865, they are going to begin to come into East Anglia, then they're going to sweep up to Northumbria, down through Mercia, and ultimately into Wessex. And Wessex is sort of this key spot for us on the island, not a spot we typically know about because this is like ancient uh, Britannia, but it's the very bottom portion. And that's where our guy, King Alfred, rules. And the Vikings dared to pick a fight with Alfred. And technically, they had every reason to because Wessex was weak, and Alfred was just a young man, and he inherited a weak kingdom. And so as a result, the very beginnings of our drama are going to be uh, Alfred losing, 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 but he refuses to yield. He refuses to give up that which God has entrusted him. And therein lies a significant lesson for all of us that we live in a time period in which there is a Viking invasion. It's not necessarily Vikings. It's a Viking ideology. It's the same demonic ideology, ideas, concepts that, once, that have always tried to invade the islands uh, of this world. And we, in this country, are being invaded by an ideology that is very counter to the kingdom of heaven. You know, it's interesting. The same demons that were controlling those Vikings back then probably have something to do with what's going on today. Isn't that fascinating? They're familiar. They're familiar with such invasions, and they know how to win. And the, the way that they typically win is through fear. This, this simple fear and horror of the strength of the Vikings actually cows people to just say, take whatever you want. And what we see in this country is fear is controlling our country right now. It's, I would say, a very irrational fear, but fear is always irrational if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, maybe it makes total sense because you don't have a refuge and a strength and a very present help in trouble. But we do. As believers, we have all that we need to face any difficulty that could ever come our way. And so it's irrational for us to fear. It doesn't matter if it's disease, it doesn't matter if it's famine, it doesn't matter if it's financial collapse. It makes no difference. We have no reason to fear because our God is in control of all. Sort of like you take any one of those things, you know, whether it's disease, you know, and you can just read Psalm 91 and recognize that a thousand could fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, it'll not come near you. Uh, if you talked about famine, have you ever seen what God can do for his people? I mean, just remember the feeding to the 5,000. Just remember how he fed Elijah at the brook. I mean, remember the widow and her flour and her oil that never would run dry? What God do you serve? And if you were to talk about financial collapse, I mean, God can find uh, little coins in fish's mouths if he needs to. God can bring in a haul of fish at any moment if he desires. Our God is in control, and he wants you to know that. And so as a result, to rest in a time of instability, in a time of tumult, is very, very significant for the Christian. This is our hour to shine forth the kingdom pattern to stand firm, to stand strong, to stand resolute. And so it is critical that we remember our heritage as believers, we remember the power of what it means to be in Christ, and we stand right now, in this time, with gusto. So this is called the Viking Braun versus Alfred's Burr, sort of a fun title. And you have to have a little background in this series to really understand what this is. Technically, you know, I'm, I'm guessing most of you know what a Viking is, right? But then brawn, you know, that's like muscular strength, okay? It's just one of those Eric Ludi words. I like words like that. And then versus, I'm guessing you know what that means, right? Alfred, we, I just introduced you to Alfred. Alfred's burr. What in the world is that? So uh, the burr system is 
Alfred's new military model that he has just debuted. So Alfred, as a king, is going to recognize that his military system that he inherited from his father, which is called the Ferd system, is pathetic. It takes the Ferd system two weeks to arrive at the point of need. When the Vikings invade, it's two weeks later, you're looking at your watch and going, wow, this is not working very well because the Vikings move like lightning. And the Ferd system, I mean, just is decrepit. They can, you know, they're with their cane moving along. It's like, come on, guys. And so Alfred is going to say, all right, as king, I'm going to change this. And I've been deeply inspired by Alfred's willingness to change. You see, many of us see a decrepit area of our life, something that's really not working. It's never really worked very well in our life, but we accept it that way. You know, it didn't work for our father. It didn't work for his father. And so why would we expect it to work for us? You know, yeah, my grandfather was addicted to pornography. Yeah, and his dad was, you know, my dad was addicted to pornography. So why should I expect anything different in my life? That is pathetic thinking. And as a result, I don't care what your dad suffered from or what his dad suffered from. Do you realize that you serve the God of new beginnings? And so as a result, right now, today, draw the line in the sand and say, we're switching from the Ferd system to the Burr system. However, to switch to the Burr system is a bit of work. Okay, first of all, what is a Burr? All right, so I'm going to answer that. What is a burr? Isn't it a funny word? Don't you want to stick the H on the inside of the R? Uh, it's like, it's uncomfortable, but I, in fact, that's the way I'd always do it, too. Every time I would spell it, and then I realize, okay, I'm spelling it wrong. It's just sort of an awkward, it's like, burr. <laughs> it's like, what, what's that H doing there, right? It's like everything about the word is even awkward. But this is something that I, I can understand why we wouldn't want to switch to this. You know, just on the human side, this is going to be a lot of work. And to be honest, we've been groomed to seek the least amount of work possible to get the most amount of benefit out of life. And so most of us, when we're growing up, we're thinking about what would be the easiest job that would take the least amount of work, the least amount of education, but bring about the most money. Okay, I I caught some of you red-handed there. Okay, when I was young, I wanted to be a, uh, a, a lifeguard because... You know, whether or not it paid well, it looked easy, okay? Because lifeguards, what? They jump into the water once a summer, you know? And you know, that's just to make themselves feel like they're doing something good, right? But they sit there tanning away all summer long with their whistle. Have you seen them? They, they do this. Some of you have been uh, lifeguards. You're like, yeah, how did you know we do that? Uh-huh. I used to study it, and I'm like, boy, I could look really cool if I had that job. There's jobs that look cool, that have a, the least amount of workload, like that, have that, those people on the corners that swing the signs, uh, you know, for the new development down, you know, that's being put in, and they swing the signs. You ever watch those people? Uh, I'll always sit at a, a parking lot, or a parking lot, at a stoplight, and I'll, I'll, I'll talk to the, the, the kids about the guy swinging the signs, like he's trying to look cool right now. Look at, oh, there he dropped the sign. Now watch how, he, watch how he handles it right now. He's going to act like that was part of his routine to drop the sign. Yeah, watch it. You see, it's like easy job, easy money, and those, from what I understand, those jobs pay pretty well. So they stick on their headphones and they do their little dance on the corner, and it's embarrassing to me because someone is wasting their life doing nothing, right? It's like they're sticking in the third system instead of changing the world in which they live. And so we have one shot at this thing called life. Let's change the world. We, ha- we have limited time here. Let's spend it well. Okay, so that's an Eric Ludi philosophy. I just laid it out on the table. Alfred 
shares this same mindset, which is why I like the guy, right? He, he has this kingdom. He's taken back over Wessex. He's purged out the Vikings. However, he knows something. Those Vikings are going to come back. And so when they come back, we're going to be ready for them. You see, when you get a victory in your life, when you take a step forward, you need to fortify. You need to make sure that your walls are up, and that's what a burr is. So he's going to pick 30 cities throughout Wessex, and he is going to build them from cities into burrs. See, that still doesn't really tell you what a burr is, does it? It's a fortressed city. It's a city with armor on is what it is. So he's going to build a moat around 30 cities, and he's going to build a wall. And he's going to turn them into fortresses. And this is what is going to ultimately change England. Of course, when we look back on old England, you know, and we remember the days, you know, of knights and fair maidens, yeah, you have castle fortresses, you have moats, and you have walls, right? That's, that's, this is where it's all starting, right here. Alfred is saying, we need a fortress. We need something that defends. Could you imagine how hard it would be to defend against Vikings when you have no walls? And they just can waltz right into any city. That's precisely what Alfred inherited. That's what you inherited too in your Christian life. The devil just comes traipsing in and does whatever he wants, plunders, kidnaps, rapes, you know, pillages, and then leaves. And you're like, boy, this isn't working very well. But some people throw their hands up in the air and go, that's just the way it is. You can't do that. You have to pull an Alfred and say, this stops now. So what is a burr? So I have the picture I showed, I don't know, I think this was Friday's uh, message, and there's the, the burr wall. And you have to admit, that, that's an ancient burr wall. Isn't that cool? That would be, if you're a Viking, you come up to that, it wouldn't be the easiest thing to think, I could jump over that, you know, running and jumping. That, that's, that's high enough to hinder a Viking from just leaping over it. That's going to create an impediment. Uh, that's good. They're going to have to you know, build some kind of rampart. They're going to have to build a ladder system to get over that, okay? But by the time they start doing that, you're hucking rocks at them and, you know, shooting arrows at them, and they're not having a good day, okay? So in other words, you have created a defense. Now, the question is, when you switch from the Ferd system to the Burr system, is it going to work? The same thing is true in your life. When you turn your life over to Jesus Christ, and you're like, okay, Lord, I want to do this right, I'm willing to change. I'm willing to move from this old system that doesn't work to this new system. You ever had that thought, is this new system really going to work? In the day of testing, like when that temptation comes that you've always sort of fallen to pieces before, you know, the Vikings come, you're like, oh, no, take whatever you want. You're like, okay, that, we need to stop that. But then you spend all this energy remaking your life and allowing the Spirit of God to work in you. Like some of you, it's like five weeks at Ellerslie. It's like, oh, we're building a moat, building a wall. Does this even work? You see, God's truth works. You need to have confidence that when you allow the Spirit of God to invest this work and to build those moats, to build those walls, it works. Now, you could open up your door and say, hey, Vikings, come on in. And you could destroy, I mean, override all of the great work that the Spirit of God has done just by giving an open invitation to the Vikings. But if you stand firm in your wall, if you stand in that defense, in that fortress, you have nothing to fear. So what we see in history is the great test is coming. You see, Alfred has spent an inordinate amount of time building this. This has been two years, and instead of relaxing and enjoying the fact that the Vikings are out of town, he is going to get his entire nation to invest themselves in saying, we're building the burrs. 
And so they've been working for two years, and guess what? The Vikings are like, huh, I wonder if they've grown complacent over there in Wessex. You know what? We really don't like Alfred and his people. They're the one group of people we've never been able to conquer. How about we go back and test them? And so can't you guys just feel the intensity building here? Accidentally building Hercules. Every rep of resistance strengthens the military oomph of the individual Christian. So this is a principle that I have learned in my life, and I think it'd be good if you adopted it as well. I remember for three years being hit with a, it was like a voice of diminishment is what I always called it. It's like the devil is whispering constantly, all day long, every day. And it's rather miserable. I'm going to have to admit that, okay? To have the enemy just say, you're nothing. Shut up, Ludi. Give it up. No one cares about what you have to say. All day long, every day. And as this progressed throughout the time, I began to recognize at one point in time, this wasn't God. You know, isn't that a brilliant uh, deduction? However, many of us struggle with that. It's like, God, do you want me to give up? God, are you against me? Instead, it's like, no, that's the enemy. I mean, that's a huge breakthrough. And then that I should resist that voice. But then it's weird that when you resist, you still have the voice. This is what Alfred's been going through. Alfred has been resisting for years, but the Vikings were still there. And so there's, but what is happening in in and through the process is Alfred is learning. First of all, he didn't realize that the system he inherited, the Ferd system, was terrible. Well, guess what? He's learning it now. And he's learning it even through what appears to be defeats. He's learning it through his exile. He's learning it He's learning and studying what's going on in his life, and what you're going to see is a hero emerge. Out of that difficulty, out of that ash of challenge, is going to come forth one of the strongest men of all history. Where did he learn all of that? How did he learn to fight the Vikings? By losing to the Vikings many times over. He became a student of the Vikings, and he understood exactly what their movements were. They were predictable. He knew exactly what they were going to try and do, and he bested them at their own game. Okay, that's, that's a previous story, all right? That's the Battle of Eddington is just great. That's a great part of the story. But now we've, he's cleared them out of the land, and we have ourselves a very, very strong man named Alfred. Well, the same thing is going to happen in my life, just in a micro way. I'm not a king of nations. I'm, a, I'm like over a body, right? I'm over a mind and a thought life. And yet the enemy is going to hit me, hit me, hit me, hit me, and I'm going to start to recognize, wait a minute, that's not God. Hey, Devil, no way. You're not getting away with that. And I start resisting, resisting. Every time the enemy speaks a lie, I start speaking the truth. And yet he just keeps going. He just keeps speaking lies. It doesn't matter how much truth I'm speaking. He just keeps speaking. Finally, I recognize this great secret of ignoring him and having a position of resistance. It's like, no, it's just my constant position. No to everything the enemy says. Yes to God, no to the enemy. Now, here's the way I I would liken it. It's like one of those ball pitching machines that's sort of dishing out the balls and you're in batting practice. It's like the devil's throwing balls at you and you're like, thank you, this is actually really good for my batting practice. And you start hitting home runs with every one of those balls and you get a point every time you hit a home run. I don't know if you know that. But you get a, well, you get a point every time and so as a result, you're racking up points. You're getting stronger, you're becoming a better hitter. Why? Because he's serving up pitches to you. It's like, thank you. Thank you, devil, this is really helpful to me. Pretty soon he's going to realize this is backfiring on him, and he's going to have to retreat. You see, and this is what I mean by this title, accidentally building Hercules. 
So say you're laying you know, on a bench and the devil sticks a weight on your chest. You see, if you don't understand how this whole thing works, then you'll be like, oh, oh no, oh, I got a weight on my chest, I got difficulty. And it'll crush your ribs, you'll be miserable. However, if you wake up and you recognize that everything the enemy means to harm you actually can be transformed into greater strength in your life if you leverage it properly, and if you resist it and you push it up, it becomes this ideal bench press. It's like, wow, that was great. And the enemy tries to push down. You're like, oh, good, I got some more resistance. Oh, there we go. And guess what? You're becoming Hercules overnight. You see, as long as he keeps pressing against you and you respond properly, you become stronger. And the devil doesn't like that. You see, you begin to leverage this against the devil, and he has to back off. You can be at liberty and free from something that has haunted you in the past, and I just want you to recognize that's a huge victory in and of itself. But you need to keep staying in shape the entire time because he will come back to test your resolve. Readying for the imminent return. Your fortifications in Christ and your new military systems of operation will be tested. I know this is somewhat of a discouraging thought, you know, because you were thinking, okay, we got the enemy out. He's on the run. Praise God. And then I'm here to bring the bad news. It's like, no, he's coming back. However, that's not bad news. This is just how it works. You have an enemy, and he is very much at large. He is very uh, cunning, and he's a strategist. So one of his tactics is to give you a season and say, okay, I don't want to mess with them right now. I'm only making them stronger. However, he's watching from across the English Channel. And he wants to see if you're going to set down your sword, if you're going to stop building your burrs. Because, hey, it doesn't look like there's a threat. And our propensity as humans is towards prosperity and ease. We want comfort. We don't want to be thinking about defenses. We don't want to be thinking about military maneuvers. Ugh, there's none of us that really wants to stay in a state of war. And so as a result, our inclination is to turn inward and to start thinking about our own satisfaction. And the enemy knows it. You see, the Vikings know the English. Do we know the Vikings? In other words, that's one of the key questions in this. And Alfred knows the Vikings. He knows exactly what they're going to do. Why? Well, he's been through this quite a few times. Men, they're coming back. Oh, no, they ran with their tail between their legs. They're not coming back. They're coming back. And we're going to be ready for them. And so in your soul, it is critical that you have the same resolve and will be ready for them. This is just one of those great movie lines too. You know, there's this the, the background movie score, you lean in, do a close up and we'll be ready for them. You know, and in your heart you're like, yeah, let's do it. James 1.3, the testing of your faith produces patience. Now, if you're an Ellerslie student, you're gonna hearken back to Friday because we had our final session. It was called Hold the Position, which is just a doozy of a message. And it dealt with the same scripture, the same concept, which is patience. Patience is such a weak word in the, in the English language. You ever notice that? It's like, what is patience? Patience is for little kids, okay? Especially little kids like, that are you know, over-eager to get out of church on Sunday morning after, their, after the service is done and their parents are talking. Some of you probably had the, the parents that were the last people to leave every Sunday, and you remember what that's like. And so what do you need as a child? You need patience. 
Okay, I'm not saying you don't need patience, but patience to most of us just simply means the passing time without grumbling, okay? And holding yourself together without exploding because of the passage of time that's very difficult, okay? There's a piece of that, a shred of that, that is part of patience. But patience is so much more than just enduring the passage of time, like standing in front of the microwave when it's popping popcorn. And it's like a minute and a half, oh! And enduring, it's like you need patience. No, you need it for far more than that, okay? Patience is what the martyrs that died for Jesus Christ, even difficult, horrible deaths, that's what, that's what they had. They had patience. Patience is what enables you to go through any challenge that's up ahead, any challenge with triumph. Okay, you interested in a little more patience? Patience is what enables you to suffer pain with a smile. It's what enables you to be imprisoned for long periods of time and not relent in your soul, not cave in to the pressures. What? That's not what we were taught about patience. Patience is so much more grand than most of us have ever understood. You see, patience is a burr system. It is like moats around the city walls. It is the city walls being built. It is the fortifications, the the soldiers on top waiting, saying, oh, the Vikings, you want to come? We're ready for you this time. Patience is armor for the soul. So that as a result, even though arrows are flying, the patient man can stand boldly and confidently knowing they can't take him out because there is nothing that pierces this armor this shield of faith that repels all the fiery darts of the evil one. Patience gives you a buoy in the midst of any challenge, okay? So if you're interested in patience, which I wouldn't blame you for being a little interested in patience, the testing of your faith produces it. Now, most of us are like, oh, come on, God, can't you just gift it to me? Can't you just say, oh, here's some patience for you? That's what he's doing. He's gifting you the trial, though, and then giving you the Holy Spirit to endure the trial, to resist. He's saying, come on, now push back. You see, you, you've been given a weight. It's a trial. But what you do with that is what causes the patience to grow. And so as a result, you begin to look at every trial as a joy, as an opportunity, as a privilege. That's why you're supposed to count it all joy when you face trials of many kinds. Why? Because they produce this. This is what you get out of it. Romans 5, 3 through 5, we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces, uh oh, there it is again, hupomone, the word for patience. That's the concept. Here it's translated perseverance. And perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint. You see, you've put a lot into this birth system. Now, the question is, is it going to disappoint you? You have a hope that it will work. It will not disappoint You see, you have invested rightly. You have invested in the kingdom pattern. You have invested in what you knew to do. You walked in obedience, and you are saying no to the enemy and yes to God in this kingdom that you have. You don't have a kingdom called Wessex. You have your body. You have your thought life. You have your range of influence. And how you care for that is of the utmost importance. So on Friday, actually, to the students, I brought up tensile strength, and I brought up what we could call the recipe for patience. So if you want to know what patience is, you need to know two ingredients to patience. One of them is tensile strength. Now, when you hear the word tensile, you think of 
you know, Christmas, but that's tinsel, okay? Tinsel and tensel are very different, okay? Tensile strength is like the measurement of rope and of springs on a trampoline, okay? So it's basically the concept of how much weight, how much difficulty can that substance, whether it's rope or springs, handle before it snaps or breaks. And that's the measurement of tensile strength, okay? So this is something, imagine that we were to measure your soul and say, how much difficulty, how much weight can they handle before they fall to pieces? And for many of us, it's not a very strong rating, but it should be. Technically, God wants to make you so that you are unbreakable. He will always build your tensile to be greater than the trial that's going to come your way. He never tests you beyond what your tensile rating is going to be ready to handle. However, that's if you are allowing him to build your tensile. If you forsake all of the training, you will not be ready for the challenge. And when the winds and the rains come crashing against your life, you will fall. But if you allow the Spirit of God to get his way inside of you, he will build you for the day of battle. He will build your burr walls. He will build a moat around. He will set the soldiers on the ramparts. You will actually be ready for the day of testing. And as a result, get this, you actually anticipate the day of testing. You know that in this story, the soldiers of Wessex were ready, not just ready, but desirous to have the Vikings challenge them again, because this time they knew they had the upper hand. The Vikings have no idea what they're walking into, because Wessex had been training every day. For who? The Vikings. And they were ready. It's a great story, guys. What I'm about to show you is like very exciting, especially if you put it in your own soul and say, okay, now that's what I want. I want to show those Vikings that they don't belong here anymore. So tensile strength is how much stress, difficulty, and hardship the human soul can handle before giving away and breaking. Resilience. So I used the illustration this past week, and it's, it's a fun one, is Stretch Armstrong. I don't know if you guys uh, remember Stretch Armstrong, but this is back in the day. Okay, So there's a few of you that are a little more on the elderly side in here that uh, unfortunately know a lot about Stretch Armstrong. And so Stretch Armstrong, when I was uh, in elementary school, I got him for Christmas. And so I could take one of his arms and my brother could take the other and I could walk to this side of the room, he could walk to the other and Stretch Armstrong would stretch. Now what's amazing about Stretch Armstrong is not just that he would stretch, but you could let go of his arms and he would come back to shape. I mean, it's remarkable and that is called resilience. It is being able to return to a former state of health swiftly, okay? In other words, where it doesn't matter what you do, if you contort Stretch Armstrong and you, you, know, you knot his arms and his legs around each other, and then you just untie it, he just comes back into shape. It's like, whoa, could you imagine having that quality in your soul? That no matter what trauma, no matter what school kids, you know, take your arms and drag them across the room, you can actually come back into a proper shape in standing. You see, many of us, when we face trauma, what do we do? We lay there with our arms stretched across the room for, what, weeks? And we moan and groan. We're like, oh, God, why am I going through such difficulty? Instead of, boom, okay, what's next? Well, you got another school kid that's about to grab you. All right, doesn't matter what they do to me. I know where, and I'm coming right back, okay? Stretch arms, always has a smile on his face. It's a weird phenomenon. And it doesn't matter what he goes through, look at his face. It's like, he's still smiling. That's a Christian right there. We should call all of you Stretch Armstrong. 
How long the human soul takes to return to its former size and shape after enduring acute stress, difficulty, and hardship. Some people never return to their proper shape again after experiencing trauma. They just don't. We as Christians are built differently. You have a grace to not just make it through difficulty with your arms you know, dangling across the room, but to actually re return even stronger, to never lose the smile on your face, even in the most challenging situations. I mean, you can think of some of the greatest stories of difficulty that Christians have walked through over the years. Just read Fox's Book of Martyrs, and what you're going to see is a whole bunch of very happy men and women that are singing songs even while being tortured. And you're like, what do they have? They have something known as patience. But what patience is, is an unbreakability, an unsnappability. It's tensile strength meets resilience. And so as a result, their soul isn't being contorted. Their soul, even though their body is being racked with pain, their soul is maintaining its composure and its smile. Their soul is not going into trauma mode, even though their body is. And as a result, that is something very special. It is an armor for the inner man. Patience is something you want. How do you get it? You have to be tested. Your faith has to be tried. You see, you have to face your old nemesis afresh. But this time, you face him with the burr wall intact. So here's our recipe. Tensile strength plus resilience equals patience, or the ability to stay in position unmoved. So I don't know about you, but if it's, it's funny because there's certain qualities like this, like to stay in position unmoved, unruffled, unshaken in whatever trial you ever face. If there was a, a, a dollar value to this, and imagine it was like you know $40 million, which it isn't. It's priceless and you can't buy it, which is a weird thought. You can't buy something like this, but imagine it was 40 million and you, it would seem so far out of range of your price tag, but if you had the money or you sp spent your whole life saving up, this is still worth buying <laughs> if it was on the market. That's how good this is. Could you imagine how worth it it would be to have something in your soul that literally enabled you to face any trial, any crisis with a smile on your face? Wow! And you've been gifted it for free. It's sitting on the table and you're wondering if you should take it. Because you're like, I don't like how I have to get it. I have to start embracing my trials and rejoicing in difficulty? I don't like it. I don't want to count it all joy when I face trials of many kinds. I want to grumble about them. You have a priceless treasure in front of you. God's gifted it to you. His son literally shed his blood so that you could have opportunity to acquire such an amazing privilege. Don't leave it on the table. Matthew 7, 24 through 25. So we have a picture, just like what we're going to see, you know, where we have uh, the Viking brawn versus Alfred's burrs. We see that with the storms of life coming, and you see two different types of people, the wise man and the fool. And they're going to be tested by the Viking winds. And you're going to see that one is going to stand and the other is going to crumble. All throughout Britannia in this heptarchy, this seven-nation system, you're going to see all of the nations crumble before the Viking winds and one is going to stand firm. What is the difference about that one? What is the difference about Alfred? Whatever it is about Alfred, I think we should stare at, 
for a little bit of time and say, okay, what does he have? He has faith in Jesus Christ. That's one of the things. He is going to build himself upon the rock. He is so hungry for scripture. And this is in the day, I said this last night, but this is an illiterate age, and even Alfred needs to learn how to read. But he is going to have the scriptures read to him by bishops, and he is going to literally think and meditate upon those words that he gets, and he's going to change his kingdom to match it. Wow! Here we have all of the scripture just sitting there for the taking, and we're like, eh, you know, yeah, everyone has that. And here's a man who is hungering to understand it, and the moment he understands it, he immediately implements it, and it changes the world. That's remarkable. So therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, isn't that a nice uh, qualifier that is put in there? It's not just that they hear the sayings, it's that they do them. I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Sheep goats. He's going to move the, the sheep to his right and his goats to the left. What's the difference between them? One does, one doesn't. Wheat tares. What's the difference? They both look similar. One does, one doesn't. One produces fruit, one doesn't. You see, there's something about the doing, the activation of the soul to say yes to God. Yes, that is very, very critical in the spiritual development. Don't just stare at the truth. Don't just hear it. Don't just esteem it. There needs to be an action in the soul. Believe is an action. When we believe upon the Lord, it is a movement of soul. And as a result, it is important that we do not just have a mental ascent. Oh, I think that that's true. We were using the illustration during the semester of if I set a, I don't know, it turned into $50 somehow. I think it was $10 originally, but somehow it got up to, uh, to $50. If I left $50 on the stage uh, and I told one of the students, his name was Micah, and I said, Micah, this is your $50. He could say, you know, if someone asked him later that day, didn't Eric give you $50? He could say, true. That doesn't mean he has it in his pocket. You see, you can know that something is true. You can even know it's yours. That doesn't mean you have it with you. And so he's at the Thai restaurant with his brother later that day, and he looks to his brother and says, hey, could you pay for my uh, bill? And his brother says, what? You should be paying for mine. Eric just gave you $50. And he's like, well, I don't have $50. Well, di di didn't he give it to you? Yes, he did. Well, then where is it? I don't know. It's probably still on the stage. Don't leave God's promises, God's work for you on the stage. Take it. Use it. Get it in your pocket and exercise it when you get to the Thai restaurant. It works, but you have to make it work. You have to do what you are responsible for. I always say that the hum humanity has a grip, and with that grip, we can grab. God designed our soul the same way. We're not just passive, like, God, you're going to have to force me to grab it. No, he sets it right there, and he says, grab it. Responsibility. You take that word, you divide it in half. You have response, and you have ability. Now flip them around. You have ability to respond. You see, what we have with the grace of God is we have him working in us to enable us to grip, to hold on, to do, to activate. So don't blame your passivity on God. He has built you to do. Your job is to agree with him in that. 
Dr. Merkel uh, says it this way. In the year 885, Alfred's many innovations for the defenses of his territory uh-oh, were put to the test. Oh, guys, oh, how do you feel about this? Do you think it's going to stand up? I mean, I don't know. I mean, could you imagine after all of that work, this has been seven years after all of that work, what if it doesn't? What if it doesn't work? Oh, this is good. You see, most of us aren't that excited if this was to be a statement of your life. You know, in 2021, uh, after <clears throat> five weeks at Ellerslie, uh, so-and-so was put to the test. It's like, oh, however, you're all excited when it's an 885 and it's Alfred. You're like, oh, yeah, let's see how it went. So when I was growing up, I used to have, there was a distinction between being ready for a test and not being ready for a test. Now, I went through the public school system. I don't know what it's like to do it in the homeschool system, you know, like prepare for a test. And if there's the same pressure uh, in the homeschool uh, system, I'm not sure. You know, it's, it's sort of a funny thing because when, I, when you're in the public school system, it's a big deal when you have a test and you have to be prepared for a test. And if I was well studied for a test, then I actually wanted a test. Isn't that weird? I was actually excited for the test. Could someone test me? You know, like the flashcards. It's like, hey, could, could someone show me these flashcards? I want to prove to you that I know the answers to them. But if you're not ready for the test, have you guys had any of those dreams uh, since you graduated from school? And then you wait, you know, in the, in the dream, you're like, you can't remember your locker combination. That was always one of mine. It's like, oh, no, I can't. Whoa, what's my wrong locker combination? All my stuff's on the inside of the locker. I need to get to class. Oh! And, but then also, oh, did you hear that there's a test? A test? I'm not ready for the test in, in the dream. You know, these are horrible dreams. These are nightmares, you know, for any of us that walked through this. However, if you are ready, you want it. Guess who's ready? Uh-huh. The Saxons are ready. In fact, they're salivating, waiting for the Vikings to make their move. Are they dumb enough to actually come into our territory again and try their old antics? <clears throat> yes, they are dumb enough. Dr. Merkel continues, the Vikings suddenly returned to Wessex, hoping to find that several years of peace from Viking raids would have caused the Anglo-Saxons to grow complacent, lax, and vulnerable. Let that be a lesson to all of us. They will come back. There's an imminent return, and they're going to test to see if you have grown complacent, lax, and vulnerable. What have you been doing in this passage of time? Have you been building your birth system? Have you been growing stronger in the Lord? Have you been mounting uh, your men on the tops of, of those city walls to make sure that they are watchful at all times, to make sure that they know if there is any invasion on the horizon? Dr. Merkel continues, the, Vikings army, the Viking army's arrival on the shores of England late in the season, which was winter, put the Danes significantly behind schedule. So the, the Danes are the Vikings, by the way. And so they wasted little time in selecting their target and striking swiftly. The Viking army chose the city of Rochester. Uh-oh. So they've picked their city. They're running a little late, okay? It's, it's late in the winter, and so they really need to get uh, their storehouse ready because they're wanting to winter in Wessex. Okay, this is their old pattern. You know, they take a few strongholds. It takes two weeks for the Ferd system to arrive, 
And so that's plenty of time for them to not just take a city or a stronghold, but then to fortify it against the incoming Ferd. And then the Ferd wants them out, but they're not going to go anywhere. The Ferd doesn't have the ability to stay and lay siege because there are a whole bunch of farmers that have to return to their farms. They're family men, they're, you know, they're craftsmen, they have to return to their business. So they start you know, falling to pieces. Eventually they do something called pay the Danegeld. The Danegeld is a, like a tribute. It's money. And it buys off the Vikings, and the Vikings then make an oath that when the spring comes, they'll leave town. Over and over and over, we do the same thing. The Vikings always seem to win and leave uh, you know, these territories of Britannia with the wealth of Britannia. And all they've done is show up, sack a city, fortress a city, and play the system against the Saxons. Because the Saxons' military system is too slow, so it's already fortified by the time they get there, and then they don't have the ability to wait it out because they don't have a standing army. Oh, here we go again. You know, same song, 10th verse. However, they're walking into a new system. When the enemy comes and hits you, is he walking into a new person? Is he hitting a new man? And when he hits a new man, there's a new armor. All right? Does the enemy recognize what he has just stepped into? I don't know. We'll find out here. Dr. Merkel continues, the city walls of Rochester had been quite recently refortified to ensure that they were constructed to provide the same sort of protection offered in any of the burrs of Wessex. Additionally, the nobles and landowners had organized a garrison fighting force equivalent to the stipulations of the burr system, a force sufficient to ensure that the newly constructed walls were well defended. For the Vikings, the strength of Rochester would prove to be astonishing. I, I like that. I'm going to read it again just because it feels good. You know, as Christians, we don't oftentimes get to soak in such statements like that about our life. Imagine someone were to say, the enemy just encountered the strength of the church and found it to be astonishing. Okay, I haven't heard a statement like that in modern Christianity my entire life. And yet it's high time. If the enemy, when he strikes at the church, finds that our defenses are astonishing. I really like that. Oh, did I? I was going to read that again. Let's go back to it. For the Vikings, the strength of Rochester would prove to be astonishing. Are you guys enjoying that like I am? That's good. Dr. Merkel says, when the Viking horde charged the gates of Rochester, splitting the air with their gore-hungry screams, they fully expected to spend little more than a moment hewing through the city's defenses, leaving the rest of their afternoon free for despoiling the city and the surrounding countryside. That's what they're used to. That the gates had been bolted against them was not a great surprise to the attacking Danes, but when they drew near the walls to begin smashing down the massive city doors, they were astonished to discover that the many fighting platforms situated along the towering city walls were manned by a substantial contingent of battle-ready Kentish men who eagerly greeted the startled Vikings with a shower of arrows, spears, and rocks. What? This isn't part of the plan. They've never done this before. The Viking chieftains were resilient and able to reassess the situation and quickly change their tactics to suit the ever-shifting challenges they faced on the battlefield. Seeing that a direct assault on the walls of Rochester was likely to cost the lives of a great number of Vikings, the Danes resigned themselves to a prolonged siege. Confident that their ability to outlast whatever provisions the men of Kent had hoarded within the city walls, the Danes settled in to wait until the hunger pains of Rochester drove the men to accept the terms of the Northmen to pay the Danegeld. So they're a little surprised, you know, by the walls and by the defenses, okay? This is a little shocking. 
However, they're not going to be bested by this. They know that these men are isolated. Why? Why do they know that? Because this is the third system. This is Wessex. Okay, it's going to take at least two weeks for any help to come. Meanwhile, they're going to starve them out. So they're going to build a little fortress, and they're going to sort of wait it out. And they know that this town is going to pay them the Danegeld. It always works. During the following days, the Danes mounted a series of attacks against the defenses of Rochester in hopes of finding some weakness in the Kentish fortress, some chink in the Saxon armor, but they found none and were driven back from Rochester's walls on every occasion. Still, it seemed it would be only a matter of time before the besieged city's determination flagged and the Danegeld would ultimately be surrendered. Are you guys concerned about what's going to happen? Are they going to hold out? Some of you are like, I already know, Eric, by your attitude in this. You've already given it away. Dr. Merkel continues, although the Viking commanders expected that a Shire Ferd would eventually be mustered to contend with them, it was assumed that the gathering of the Ferd would take some time and that by the time the Saxon army arrived, the earthwork fortress would provide more than enough protection to the Danish army. Okay, I like this, guys. To the, this is good. Oh, this is, I almost want to read it a couple times. To the stupefying horror of the Vikings, however, only a few days after the raiding army beached its longboats on the banks of the Medway, they received word that an, an enormous throng of Saxon soldiers was swiftly approaching on horseback. Hardly had the message been brought to the ears of the Viking commanders when the, then the approaching army crested the horizon. This is a movie scene. I don't know if you can feel it. But they're so confident. This is like the end of the movie. This is like how it ends. The credits are just about to go up, right? But we still have one final scene that makes us glow inside here. Hardly had the message been brought to the ears of the Viking commanders and the approaching army crested the horizon, innumerable and riding hard, rushing to relieve the besieged city. Go! The Saxons have arrived! I mean, don't you feel this? This is good. Not only was this army much larger than expected, being the newly formed standing army of Wessex rather than the traditional ad hoc Shire Ferd, but the ranks of this new force were filled with Saxon men who had spent months training and preparing specifically for a battle such as this. Resolute and battle-hungry, the Wessex for- forces galloped with the King of Wessex himself, King Alfred, riding in the vanguard. Oh, that's good. You see, we have the king riding in the vanguard saying, you mess with my people? Don't you realize that this is a new man? This is my child? I mean, that's, that's pretty special. The shield of faith right in his nose, knocking him backwards. You see, we have something grand and strong. Do not leave it on the table. You have access to the fortress of your king. He is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble, and therefore we will not fear. We are resolute in the day of battle. We have patience for the storm. We have patience for the flying arrows. We have patience for the Viking shield wall. We have patience for the Viking siege. It doesn't matter what the Vikings whip out of their holster. We have what we need. We are the saints of God, clothed in the armor of God. We are the ultimate burr system with this as our defense. King Jesus leading his angelic host in to literally 
astonish the enemy that would dare tackle the church of Jesus Christ. May we stand in the authority that we have been given and not leave anything on that table. The Northmen were thunderstruck. There's some great words here. Their typical cool-headed composure evaporated and they were overwhelmed by a desperate terror and a desire to be as far away from the Anglo-Saxon army as possible. The idea of forming a shield wall to face Alfred was unthinkable. But the chance of successfully defending the only partially constructed earthwork fortification was equally hopeless. The only attractive option to any of the Viking mines was a dash for safety. James 1.3, the testing of your faith produces patience. Guess who is now stronger? Wessex. Why? Oh, because the Vikings uh, tested their wall system. Now guess who is even more confident? Guess who has even more energy? Guess who is stronger and more stout? Mm-hmm. Even though, you know what? Wessex soldiers were actually mad that day. You know why? Because they really wanted to fight the Vikings. Instead, the Vikings fled. That's a good problem to have when you're frustrated because the Vikings didn't stand their ground as men and fight. It's like, how dare you come into our territory and then run with your tails between your legs? Hey, come on, you men. Fight us, Wessex soldiers. We're ready for you this time. See, this is the kingdom of heaven and how it changes us. God wants to transform you from being a depleted nation with no military system into one that is so stout that even the most stout, strong, brawny military system in the world that, of that day, which was the Viking system, which was ruling everywhere they went, in all of Europe and the island of Britannia and beyond, everywhere they went, they won, except for Wessex. What was different about Wessex? Or what is different about you? You see, you are one who is going to be built upon the rock of Jesus Christ you are going to grow unto a full maturity with a burr system around you to repel what the enemy is attempting to bring into your life. Why? So that you can be strength to the nations. Do you know that little Wessex and little Wessex's, that's a hard word to say, little Wessex's strength is going to change the entire island of Britannia, which is then going to sweep over into Europe, and the Viking danger is ultimately going to be put down? Everything is going to change because one man is going to believe the word of God and he is going to stand up and resist. So if you're wondering why I'm moved by the story of Alfred, yeah, that's why. Because in our day and age, what do we feel? We feel very small. We feel like the victory of, of darkness is imminent. It's just like, well, should we just call them victorious? Should we just sort of all sign a document that says, yes, I accept the fact that we are defeated? Our God is not going to lose. Our God is victorious. We are the carriers of that victory. But we need to remember it afresh. And we need to pull an Alfred in this hour. Father, stir us unto action. Awaken us from our lethargy. Lord, we want to stand with you, for you. We know that we are not strong enough to fight this battle, but we do know that you are victorious and you are able to give us everything we need for life and godliness.
Lord Jesus, equip us for such an hour as this. It's in the precious name of Jesus Christ that we pray this. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.